0: fall is here there's a chill in the air and the anomaly film festival is right around the corner it's november 8th through the 12th at the little theater in rochester new york check it out at anomalyfilmfest.com it's the fifth year of showing the best in independent genre films action sci-fi horror dark comedy and really whatever else that you wouldn't get a chance to see on the big screen it's anomaly film fest at the little theater november 8th through 12th anomalyfilmfest.com
1: We are back for our second year and want to go back to where we began, back to the greatest martial arts star of all time, Bruce Lee. It's fitting that we start 2023 with Bruce Lee, as not only did we begin 2022, our first year of podcasting, with Bruce Lee's classic Enter the Dragon, but sadly, 2023 also marks 50 years since Bruce's untimely passing. This year, though, to honor Bruce, we are going back. Back before 1973's Enter the Dragon, back to a time when Bruce's star was just beginning to rise. Tonight, we are going back to 1972's Fist of Fury, released in America under the title The Chinese Connection, but more on that later. Fist of Fury marked Bruce's second film with the legendary Golden Harvest Studios after his return to Hong Kong, and his second and final collaboration with the somewhat infamously legendary director Lo Wei. Fist of Fury would go places no martial arts movie had gone before, attacking racism, the humiliation of international subjugation, graveyard barbecues, nunchucks, and more as Bruce would deliver a rousing, violent film fueled with national pride that would reportedly leave Chairman Mao in tears, proclaiming that Bruce Lee is a hero.
2: (laughs) hands
1: to (laughs) help with what I
2: can
1: our couch potato ninja family your couch potato ninja crew here is back for another year of martial arts films uh so without ado i want to welcome all my friends back here again i'm your host michael huntone and with us tonight we have our magic man mad knots
0: oh i'm running the boards i'm happy to be back 2023 second year of the punches and popcorn podcast popping them peas it's another bruce lee and i'm so excited
1: Yes! I couldn't couldn't imagine a better way to intro that. And of course, we have our genius, Jason Bills.
3: Hello there. Happy to uh, start another year with you guys talking about Bruce Lee again. Very excited. Wonderful, and we are excited to have you back.
1: And of course, with us, we have our resident professor and Walking Weapon and sick man of podcasting, Dominic (laughs) DeMore.
2: I'm just surprised you let me renew the contract. Like, (laughs) I thought... I thought this would be like a silent firing, but uh, happy to be here.
0: <laughs> We took the time off to a- audition a bunch of other people, but they just didn't cut it. I, like half didn't show up. So thanks for coming back for the second year. It's appreciated. Um, love all the work
2: you do. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is, this is nicer than academia. I'll give you that. <laughs> we express our warmest regards.
3: <laughs> we do. Sponsors wanted uh, you. Uh, off, yeah. but we, we kept you in.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's great to be back, guys. Um, uh, all of you are wonderful and bring so much great things to uh, so many fun films. And uh, I don't even want to wait to get into some of that. I'm hoping we can start off with our geniuses, Gospel of the Guillotine. Do you have uh, something special to get our year kicked off here as we dive into Fist of Fury?
3: Uh, yeah, it's a quick one tonight. I just wanted to talk about... so context when we talked about enter the dragon last year um we we talked about how sort of bruce lee took you know the world by storm literally um and we focused kind of primarily on north america but he actually had a huge like it, like sea change in hong kong and chinese cinema as well so i mean we're thinking before you know fist of fury and, and obviously the big boss um chinese cinema you know you're thinking like um they're using trampolines sword fights like historical epics wire work um he just like when he shows up he's introducing this whole kind of more brutal um approach to you know kung fu movies and that you know obviously made an impact across the shores but at home to it it really kind of you know took like people by i don't know they, they just were absolutely off guard by this and um you know we're, we're kind of still dealing with it today in terms I still think I, what I loved about this movie and I'm getting off course already. So is I was seeing things in this movie Fist of Fury that I see in movies today, but let me just, uh, we'll talk about that later. So just, I want to get into specifics of this because I think you can watch a Bruce Lee movie and like appreciate it or, or maybe not even appreciate it. Cause there is some pacing stuff going on here, but what he's doing is just, it, it's crazy. Like in terms of if you put it in a historical context. So uh, let's talk about first, you know, just, so he is a huge fan of like Japanese cinema, uh, you know, like think of like the Samurai's films, like in the, how they have like th- that excessive emotional style. So he's doing that here, like like writ large, like he's those facial expressions he makes, the noises he makes, like no one was really doing that at the time. Like, obviously, the everyone, you know, depending on, you know, the, the Hong Kong f- uh, action fan you are they had noises but i mean you can see in this movie he's he's like taking it he's dialing it to 11 absolutely <laughs> so um that's definitely interesting um uh what else i want to talk about um like think about the mannerisms think about uh facial expressions uh also i, th- I think that's really it but just, oh, also i want to touch on this sorry i apologize i'm, I'm rambling as i do um you are think delivering about, like, knowledge I'm hoping so. Yeah. So <laughs> what he did was like deliver because obviously like think about like a, a more traditional aspect of what, you know, Hong Kong cinema was before that. He's introducing kind of like a Western style, more individualism style. Uh, somewhat, so even his um, that sort of Kung Fu, I guess he like invented his, like was it called Jin, Jeet Kune Do? Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, it's just more about individualism and kind of doing your own thing. Uh, and i just want to call this out specifically when he's fighting um uh the one white dude in the movie so like prior to this like it, eventually the white dude and i'm probably jumping ahead here gets him in and like basically an mma hold like nowhere in in hong kong cinema before have you seen hit, like he just literally bites the guy like it's all about like winning at any cost there's no kind of romance about it. There's no traditionalism. There's no honor. He's just like, I got to get out of this movie, And so he just bites the guy and it, it works. So that's what I wanted to kind of call out is Bruce is kind of like his own guy. He's doing his own thing. And it's just completely different than what, you know, Hong Kong had ever seen before. So uh, that is my gospel this week. I love it. That is a worthy introduction to the film and i think that's i would good... love
2: to springboard off of it actually please?
1: yeah, yeah. so well that's actually i was gonna ask next. next as we usually start uh you know what are your guys kind of impressions just first thoughts on this movie so yeah dom jump off that
2: please well actually uh, so there's a couple major things but one of the major things is the so for for our long time listeners from the beginning if you listen to our into the dragon podcast we i cover a bit on jee and the philosophy so i won't i won't you know dig us too deep in there but it's a very practical martial art it's very functional it's not about doing flashy moves although there are plenty of flashy moves it is supposed to be very 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 focused and what happens in in this is it shows that fighting style it shows it's he's quick so one of the things about his about jeet kundo is it's a very quick way of dispatching someone um it's supposed to happen very quickly. It's supposed to be very effective. And, it, and it's one of those things where you can do it. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, let, me, let me step back a second. So if you notice the way that he strikes, he strikes with his arms already out. He doesn't bring them all the way back in a defensive position. He has the stance where he's hopping around a lot and it's very much ready to engage. And that's the kind of fighting style he does. There's no trampoline moves. There's none of these flowy flashy movements. It's just like, okay, you're coming at me. Pop another guy, pop another guy, pop. And he does a lot of spinning roundhouse kicks which are very sexy, but he does them very quickly. And so that kind of brutal, sharp, efficient martial art is what jeet kune Do is and that philosophy he then translated to the movie which is exactly what jay said and i thought i thought it was wonderful um and also like i i did notice that as well about the expressions because he was like a scowling hunched over angry like it was like Death Wish meets the Count of Monte Cristo meets um, Enter the Dragon. Like he was like, I'm going to, you know, he's like in the emotion, like he was kind of a psycho. Like, okay, let's just call it from straight from the beginning. I agree. He's a psycho. He's like, insane. Everyone's like, "Oh, our master died. We're really sad. We're really bummed." And it could have been foul play, so we're really pissed off about that. And he's like writhing in the grave with him. And I'm like, I've never seen
3: anyone react to death like that in in like reality or fiction. It is insane when he's like trying to unbury the coffin. Like he's <laughs> he shows up like just pure psychopath Batman villain mode.
2: Yeah, he's bananas. He's, he's like so overwhelmed with grief that he's like, "You're all fucked." He's like, "I'm gonna yeah. kill." I, he's like, "No, I have you know my moral compass. I left it home." Like, I'm just so like, uh, it, what is it? It's like grief motivated destruction. And mm-hmm. I wonder in this movie if they were trying to make a statement about how that's not good. Because spoiler alert: by the end of the movie. Everyone is suffering. His entire dojo is destroyed. All these people are dead on both sides. It's just a mess. And I'm not sure whether or not it was like they're showing his um, that you shouldn't be that way. And they're yeah. showing that vengeance doesn't solve anything. Because mm. I'm not really sure I got that message. I don't but it definitely I was the case. It definitely right. was the case. Like, just bodies everywhere. It was just a <laughs> mess. And he yeah. never had the forethought to think, okay, maybe there's a better way of handling this <laughs> than just going ham on everyone.
1: Well, I definitely want to get more into, into vengeance and the, his plot, whether it was good or bad. Um but before that I want to hear Matt's thoughts here on uh just some again quick reactions to uh, what does this movie do for you?
0: I feel terrible. Cuz <laughs> uh, here mm, this is difficult. Let it out. Let it out. This is difficult. Yeah. I think from an action standpoint this is one of the greatest things ever committed to celluloid. I think it's incredible, revolutionary perfect action scenes. The problem is everything in between. Um, I find, yeah, it, he is completely off the rails for, for most of the movie. I mean, I get why I, I see his motivation and, and everything. And Jay, thank you for the, the context to, to it all. Cause that actually helped me appreciate it a bit more. Um, but when I was watching it, I was like, can, can, can we just get back to him kicking people again? Cause like <laughs> this is fucking interminable. Um, so I, this might get me fired from anything having no. to do with martial arts films. <laughs> never, Absolutely never. Because, yeah, I, I love about 40% of this movie. And like 60. This is a shout out to my, my, my partner, McKeneth Blue. This feels very much like. <laughs> you know, when you fast forward through the time when the pizza guy gets there and they have the conversation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. Yeah. That's how I feel about this movie. Unfortunately, I think it's it's fantastic, but just get to the good parts.
2: I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm just gonna jump in and say that I I agree with you. I thought that the other actors didn't really give us much. I found them to be very one dimensional. Like, uh, uh, it's when you make an entire nationality a cartoon villain, right? I mean, maybe maybe it's dated. Maybe back in the day, it was okay to say Japanese people are ugly, stupid, and evil because that's what the movie basically is saying. And like, I, I studied Japanese martial arts and derivatives of Japanese martial arts, so I didn't necessarily appreciate that. But this movie, yeah, I mean, I, I found it to be you know the villains are very much one-sided. The um the the character motivation seems a little over the top, um, the scenes in between are just unnecessary. I didn't really feel too bad when the characters I was supposed to sympathize with kicked it. So, I agree with you,
3: yeah i I um, I forget where I read it or maybe I heard it on the audio commentary for the the disc uh but they said this was literally at the time the most like Chinese natural nationalistic film like yeah. like ever made at, at that point like it was like no longer subtext about you know the the aggression or the animosity towards Japanese it was it was text like they they, they went it, yeah. nuts with this, yeah, dude, this is Wait, the Rocky well,
2: Four of Hong Kong
1: like <laughs>
3: come well, on. That's... right so... exa- you got it exactly. <laughs>
1: Right. And part of what I mentioned uh, in passing there at the end of my intro, there is a story that supposedly uh, towards the end of his life, which I mean, wasn't long after this movie came out, uh, when Mao was kind of bedridden, then he gave time to watching movies. And apparently this was like the one movie when he saw it. And there's the infamous like uh, sign kicking scene that I'm sure we'll talk about later. He like started weeping. And like crying and supposedly this is the only movie that he ever watched three times because he's like, this is about us, the Chinese people. And, uh, you know, not to aggrandize Chairman Mao here. That's a whole other podcast. But, you know, a man who went through a lot of his life fighting the Japanese for national identity. Again, uh, a lot of context left out there. But, uh, you know, you could see where this really appealed to his experience um i'll say for me so i love this movie um i think that there is a lot of there's long breaks in action um first the action itself i love because it is so violent that the first hit that he delivers in this movie in the dojo is so fast like the glancing like backhand is so fast that i i like gasped the first time i saw it and it's and that's just what he does everything is fast right When you have scenes like the dojo scene where he gets, like, one glancing kick to the back. And otherwise, the man never takes a hit. Like, really, until the final battle, like, he doesn't get hit. He just hits other people, and he hits them a lot, and fast, and hard. So that is an action movie, a fight movie fan. The fights are badass. But I enjoy that in this movie, we get a lot of different types of Bruce here, and... You know, whether it's because he was trying to show, uh, you know, he'd only had one film before this, The the Big Boss. And that one, that was kind of the first one that established him as an adult star. You know, we talked about during Enter the Dragon, how he was a child star. And people were kind of surprised when The Big Boss came out, like, this guy's going to be a fighter. And The Big Boss kind of established, like, oh, here I am. Uh, There's some thought that, well, now in this movie, he's going to show different sides to him that, Hey, I'm not just a fighter. I can do all this stuff. This is really the only movie we get romantic Bruce. We get funny Bruce like, and the, so I like that we get all these different sides of Bruce and I kind of dog for me, I enjoyed seeing, all right, let's see a little bit more of him just because, you know, it's sad to me. I mean, it's sad for all of us, right? That we didn't get very much Bruce. So I feel one of the, I appreciate in this movie that I felt like we got to see, a little bit more range from him, or at least him trying a little different types of acting in this, whether it's successful or not, you know, that's another question. But I kind of like that part, um, and it's just interesting. You know, there's a lot of history in this movie. Um, you know, his character himself is a fictional character, but his master that died, Ho Yun Jia, uh, he was a very real uh, hero. If uh, you guys, I'm sure, have seen Jet Li's Fearless, that Jet Li is playing. The character that's dead in this movie, so his master, like that's what that movie's about, and that character's been used like ad nauseum in the future, and of course, so is Bruce Lee's character in this movie because this was such a huge, popular movie that it would go on to inspire stuff. But if I can I, jump
2: in about Fearless, yeah, do it. I was actually thinking about that while I was watching this, and I'm like, Fearless handles that so much the um, international strife in such a more tasteful way and i think that might have to do with just the time i feel like it was it was okay in the 70s to just be like this nation good this nation bad you know like everyone in it good bad like it's you know that kind of thing was okay (laughs) and now i feel like we're in a a squishier time and gently's fearless is like I, I think they represent the Japanese in, in a somewhat respectful way in that, in that movie and actually a very respectful way. And I remember watching that movie when it came out and being like, Oh, that's refreshing. You know, it's, yeah. it's very refreshing. And then I watched this and I'm if like, you're new to cruising, oh, okay, well, <laughs>
3: yeah, I think of seventies China, like they, like they weren't worried about political correctness at all. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're worried about just, just slamming the Japanese who, but giving them a hard time.
2: But as a martial artist that brings up an interesting perspective because like, I felt like in Fearless, they put martial arts first and they're like, you know, politics, this politics, that I get it. But mm. let's see what we can learn from each other. I mean, there's the one part where he's drinking tea with the Japanese man. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, like, you know, they are bigger than their, than their aristocracies and politicians squabbles. Here, I feel like this movie is just propaganda. Like, whether it's meant to be or not, whether it's meant to be I think it is meant to be, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if there was a political agenda behind it or they were just like, well, people aren't too thrilled with Japanese. Let's really just dig into that. I wouldn't call that propaganda. Mm -hmm. I would call it pandering. Regardless, it's like, it's just just a stark contrast. And I I think it's interesting. I'm glad I saw it, but I I was, I I don't want to say turned off, but I was just like, Taken out of it. Like, for example, the, the thing that, that popped out to me, especially, was after he whoops everyone in the judo studio, you see him standing there and the camera's facing upwards, and you see the founder of judo, Kano Chikaro. Um, oh, that's who that is? Right behind his head. And I'm like, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> I was like, this is like, really? Like, you know, what's. It was, I would say disrespectful as someone who, who who was a judo player. I was like, What? You know, I understand the movie's older than me, I, I, I'm a big boy, but I was just like, Woof, like this is this is a this is a slap in the face to Japanese martial arts and Japanese culture, which from a historical perspective, I'm like, wow, you know, uh-huh. back then did people would did people agree with me, or was it so different in the 70s that they're like, yeah, fuck them, they deserve it.
3: I mean, yeah, this but is remember made
2: for like what
1: a... instigated that. Like, he didn't just go there and decide to start disrespecting them. Like, they walked into his studio, his, his, uh, not dojo's the wrong term. Now I'm all in Japanese mode, but he walked into his school <laughs> with academy. Academy
2: six... is the English word right. for all
1: of them. Uh, during their master's funeral, with this sick man of Asia sign.
2: Oh yeah, no, no, no. I get the cat. I get the the motivation of Bruce Lee's character in the story. I'm talking about the use of set pieces to make a point. That's yeah, a little
3: different. I, yeah, you know it's it's made by you know a, a chi- like a Chinese Hong Kong you know studio, so you know they, they've got an a, agenda and, and they're you know <laughs> I, I don't know if they're thinking about it going global. They're just like God, we just hate these the Japanese man like <laughs> like that's what I think as far as it goes in 1972. Yeah. Um, but what also I think is interesting is you know Bruce Lee is an immigrant, so you know he was born in you know the United States, so obviously I think he went back. Uh, yeah, I don't know the specific timeframes, but obviously was back in Hong Kong pretty quickly after that. But I, I just think it's interesting that this is like, you know, the ultra nationalistic Chinese movie. And, it's, you know, the lead is Bruce Lee, and he obviously has a big part of, you know, the movie's agenda and what is, what's going on, especially like him kicking that sign and stuff like that, which is, is like a, you know a crowd-pleasing moment in terms of, you know, what, what's going on in, in the audience it's being made for. So I think that's kind of interesting. And then not to get off the, I think, much more interesting than the plot of the movie, the the, the politics of it. I, I love that, you know, Enter the Dragon, our first Bruce Lee uh, installment that we did together. You know, Bruce gets to be the, the lead here, obviously a psychopath, uh, but, you know, he's part of an ensemble. It's like, I still don't think, like, you know, I think it was Warner Brothers that put it out with an American studio, didn't trust, like, American audiences just to be with Bruce Lee for the whole time. So they had to get John Saxon and and Jim Kelly in there. So just Bruce Lee being like our central protagonist, I really enjoyed that. So again, not to get off the political stuff because that's more interesting than the plot of this movie, as we all agree, but um, I I, I did appreciate just getting like Bruce front and center.
1: Yeah. And some context that I think is important to have. I mean, if you think of 1972, a lot of the people making these movies Anyone that's over the age of like 30 lived through, uh, you know, in Hong Kong and China, lived through a Japanese occupation that was extremely brutal. Right. Uh, you know, right. so there's a lot of thought. And anyone, you know, having learned history, um, you know, at that time, and this is long ago for us, but less long ago for them. You know, this time period that this is set in 1910 is when this is set. Um, and that's right at the end of the Qing dynasty. I think that, uh, you know, a connection to another movie, The Last Emperor, that's kind of set. The beginning of that is right at the same time period. I think the empire would fall within a year or two after this movie's set. So, you know, we're probably, we learned about in high school, like the spheres of influence. And in Shanghai, at the time where this was set, was an international settlement. So even though it was a Chinese city, there were, zones of this that were completely controlled by foreign powers, uh, you know, and Japanese were one of them, um, but also Americans and others. Uh, you know, we see that that Sikh uh, policemen or the guard outside of the park. Those were part of the, uh, uh, they were brought in by the British to control, like they were essentially British policemen that were there. So if you look at like the people uh, at this time, historically, they're in a place where they had no power and there are people who are not from their country, are there controlling them? Uh, you know, there's you could see the reaction. And then the people who, yeah, there's probably a lot of people who are watching this new in 72 who didn't live through the Shanghai International Settlement, but having lived through Japanese occupation at Rangabel and even locally where this is set in Hong Kong at the time, it was still a British colony or something. I don't know what the correct political term at that time was uh, Commonwealth or something. Like, they are still subjugated to the British at that time. So there's some people that thought, like, well, the Japanese are the setting here. But a lot of people saw, uh, just reading reactions to it at the time, that, well, this is striking out as someone that, an outsider that controls your home, we are striking against them. And it's surprisingly, this movie actually had a pretty, according to some reports, it's different who you listen to, but some reports it actually had a pretty positive reception in Japan because the Japanese people who saw it, didn't identify themselves as the Japanese in here. They didn't see it as like a they're attacking us as a race. Uh, you know, there was, and again, th- this is speaking really generally. Uh, right. But, you know, there was a large portion that saw, no, this is speaking out against imperialists. And we don't like imperialists. They just had imperialists that they were trying to get out of their country after World War II. So a lot of them identified with Bruce Lee as this figure that fights back against imperialists on in your home, on your turf, that you are just there and they could leave you alone, but they keep antagonizing you. And I think that was one of the things that made it popular there where I think it's, it's difficult for us to have that now because we don't have that same, you know, emotional context that I think was there for more of like the Hong Kong, uh, you know, and Chinese viewing audience at the time. But uh, you know, it's fair to dive into like uh, race is a huge part of this movie. Like, and, And that I think Jay might have mentioned this before, but this also was one of the first uh, movies to come out of Hong Kong to deal with that, like to look at race and this type of in this antagonistic fashion. So another reason why it's very different from other movies. Right. Absolutely. So what else? What do you guys uh, I mean, did you think so? We talked about a little more. Do you think it was overboard? Um, Okay.
2: so if we want to talk about stuff that was good, (laughs) even though it was over the top. Chuck's
1: Chuck's oh, hell let's yeah. talk nunchucks oh, yes.
2: can we talk nunchucks
1: please go
2: because ahead. like there's some good nunchuck scenes in Ninja Turtles there's some good <laughs> nunchuck scenes in Enter the Dragon but I could watch the Chuck scenes in this movie chucks. and only the Chuck scenes in this movie over and over and over for hours
3: mm-hmm.
2: what 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 a stunning stunning display and Chucks are perfect for Bruce Lee's style quick moves, flicking and, you know, swinging and not a lot of drawn out stuff. Just whip, 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 whip. Like Chucks are his perfect weapon. Like I couldn't, I'm sure he'd be great with a bow staff. Don't get me wrong. But I don't picture him with a super long bow staff with like a, a blade at the end or anything like that. I, Chucks is like the Bruce weapon. And
3: now wolf. isn't that a primarily like, I think I read it's, a, it's a you know, like origin was a Japanese weapon, right? Chucks.
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. one of the so what I was able to see, I think it's I think with anything marsh with a lot of martial arts, I don't know that it's it's 100 percent defined where some of this originated. I know there's a story that said it originated from Okinawa and like there's rumors that originally it was like a threshing tool, I guess, in the Philippines. I think there's some there's a tool that is similar that's used for like cutting wheat but no one knows i i don't think there's like a defined aura. i mean i think if you look at these cultures uh you know aside like prior to the like sino chinese or japanese wars that happened there's a lot of interplay with the culture right yeah a lot of it, it crosses over like, you, know. you
3: know almost let's call it like an international weapon like it's such a pro yeah. chinese movie that but bruce lee again being an international uh person and an immigrant like he's kind of just pulling You know different influences like you know i'm really good with nunchucks we're throwing these in this movie and i'm gonna use i'm gonna use them against the the japanese like it's it's just fascinating because i i'm pretty sure i read that they were like you said mike it was not really like determined where they're from but um you know they're definitely not like oh this came from china so it's just interesting for sure right
2: it is absolutely absolutely stunning chuck work i (laughs) that was my favorite honestly if you were to tell me what's your favorite thing about this movie Nunchucks, man. He just, oh, and it's so good. It's so good. He did such a good job. The fight scenes, like, I, I mirror what Matt said. The fight scenes are, are some of the best fight scenes that I've seen in a martial arts movie. In, in, oh, wow, Really? Like, Like, I'd argue that this almost shows Bruce Lee's ability better. Then enter the dragon although you do Ooh, a great I job totally, totally i argue this is better yeah like, absolutely like, like it's a worse movie from the standpoint of movie mechanics but it's a better martial arts exposition Woof. oh man yeah,
3: he, I, he's front and center yeah absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, i also kind of like um this is sort of maybe getting off topic a little but the did you guys pick up on like almost like a supernatural thing at times like Ooh, obviously yeah, when he does is- this little his hand movements and stuff like where it's it's kind of like trippy, <laughs> you know, like LSD hands that he does in front of one of the villains. But like just random stuff like where he like picks up like, is that a rickshaw? A like rickshaw, a, yeah. Yeah. Like just that feels, you know. You He's can't superhero y yeah.
2: No, that's super that's crazy when he picks up the rickshaw. I was this close to doing it. that for my science segment, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how much a rickshaw freaking weighs. I'm not I'm not right. doing this one.
3: <laughs> but just like like this otherworldliness, which I think only adds to the film. Um I mean, I'm definitely with Mike on appreciating more, but um that was weird and and when he you know, positions one of the villains to to take the the sword in the back, like just in slow motion, and also when oh, he, yeah. he, he kicks the the Japanese villain with the stash yep. through the uh, the plate glass window or whatever. It's just like just like stuff where I am like, because everything else seems so grounded, and and oh. then, but then there is just these otherworldly things that happen during these fights where I am just like, what, what what am I watching? But in, in a good way. Ooh, quick aside that the guy that ends up getting the sword through the back.
1: Also is responsible for maybe my favorite non Bruce moment in the movie at the first scene or the first time that Bruce goes to the dojo before that epic fight that we've been talking about. Remember Bruce walks in there with the sign and everyone's kind of looking like uh, like who's going to say something or do something and like the camera pans to him is like the master sitting there and he's like silent for a second and then he just lets out this guffaw like <laughs> I just love like Bruce comes in there with all this energy like I'm gonna kick your asses and how dare you and he just laughs at his face I mean yeah, then Bruce does beat right. their ass but it's just this really <laughs> funny moment where for, for a second like he just laughs at him and it's such an unexpected moment that I kind of felt bad when he got the sword through the back I like it seemed like maybe he's a little bit of a chill guy I don't know <laughs> i don't know matt did you like it so yeah this is something i was thinking about too like it almost is like a superhero bruce like we get these power even the disguises kind of fit into like superhero bruce and i know so matt a lot of that superhero bruce happens during the the slow moments so yeah you like those or what do you think about superhero bruce
0: i'm not gonna lie i i i was kind of perplexed by them so i kind of want to go back to what you guys were saying before i it I do. If you look at this film as, number one, uh, uh, the the political piece that we were talking about, but also as a showreel for Bruce Lee, it makes sense that Enter the Dragon was next. Somebody saw this and said, I'm going to put a bunch of money into Bruce Lee, and this is what we're going to do. Um, totally makes sense. And, yeah, the superhero thing is a part of it. I guess, to a certain extent, you can kind of see that he's got that range and he can do the weird stuff. The Rickshaw thing, I almost screamed, howled, laughed on the couch. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that was
1: crazy. Ah, this is the so most great. absurd
0: shit I've ever seen. Yes, it's so good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, I will be honest with you. The slow parts, I'm not going to be able to tell you much about because ADHD like flared up big time. <laughs> So I was like, I can't, I'm, I'm trying real hard. Like I, th- at one point I think I was watching it and I, I put in our slack, I was like, Oh, it's, it's bubbles from trailer park boys is the, the master for the, <laughs> yes, yes. Like, yes. but that's where my brain was going. So I, I feel bad. I, like I say, I don't know if, like I said, the action is impeccable. Anything that happened in between Bruce Lee being like, kick-ass Bruce Lee I don't know if I'm going to be that valuable for you (laughs) because honestly I was on planet Matt for a lot of it Um, which is probably a terrible admission as someone who does uh, two movie podcasts and one specifically about martial arts films I, I hate to be that guy who's like I only like it when people are punching people
1: but, like... <laughs> hey, you could... We. I, it's half of our name, Matt. It, you could argue that 50% of our podcast is talking about people no. punching people. So it's I think true. it's a valid standpoint to say, I need lots of punching.
0: It's true, but... And I don't have the, the cultural and historical understanding to really weigh in on it. So I want to say that. I am a middle-aged, overweight I, white guy. So, like, <laughs> let's just... Call it where we are. But, <laughs> like, it for me, the in-between stuff felt a lot like when we watched Above the Law, uh, yeah. which means I, I was just kind of in middle space until I saw something cool happen. So
1: Valid, valid.
0: I'm, I'm sorry to say, and that's a long way to go. I'm probably very disappointing for anybody that's li- listening for, like, cogent conversations about the actual <laughs> plot and, like, anything to do with this film. But, like, yeah, I... I appreciate what, what he was trying to do, and superhero Bruce is kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. M- more nonsense, yeah, like, please.
3: Yeah, no, Matt, to sort of how how I dealt with the between the fight segments is, you know, I basically envision, you know, Bruce's character as almost, I've already references but like like literally like the origin stories of a batman villain like he was like once he would kill someone obviously this would be the, he would hang them up like there's no you know moral quandaries he's just like i'm getting revenge i'm murdering like it's not even like an anti-hero this is a i mean as far as yeah, I'm that's a pretty... villain like he's hanging up his victims on the street to be like i'm killing these japanese and this is what i'm doing and 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 dom what you said earlier was interesting because you're like i don't know whether it, it's supposed to be like what is the message like i wasn't sure and so i i was kind of finding that interesting where the movie well, didn't have like I, I couldn't figure out what it was trying to tell me so um again like well, because it was so odd and in in almost off-putting like because he was just so insane uh in you know psychopathic like i i was vibing with that is is how i got through it well, yeah, and if
1: you think of like the first two people that he strung up were people that were working for the school. Remember,
2: the guys that worked at the school were literally the ones that. Don't... Oh, and this this might be a good time. They killed them. They they he they were the ones that killed them. Keep in mind,
3: exactly right. They yeah, were, were the actually
2: the ones that quote pulled the trigger. So yep. you know, so like from the standpoint, I mean, he was basically just working his way backwards. Oh yeah, you know.
1: exactly. Yeah, well they, they were that's...
3: undercover agents.
1: Yes. Oh, so this is a thing. uh, I don't know. This might be a good time to bring it up. So one thing I, one of the side conversations that we had that I wanted to bring up, this is a good point for us to discuss this. One of the side conversations we had is when Bruce walks in and discovers these two guys that are working for the school are actually his master's murderer. uh, There's a moment that happens when he walks in and he realizes, hey, this guy is Japanese. And I want to hear from you both. What did he see or what do you think he saw that told them he was Japanese or told Bruce he was Japanese?
2: At first, I thought he was looking at his nipples and I thought there was maybe a stereotype that Chinese people have different nipples. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I Googled it and that's not the case. Also, that's not true. But, right, right. But I just the stereotype. I know, I know. There's no difference between the
0: nipples. But a good three, yes. four hours later, Dom found that that wasn't a thing. But he definitely put the time and effort in to confirm. No, no stunt, stone, or nipple was left unturned.
1: Oh yeah, the carpal tunnel's just starting to go away. <laughs> you know, going back to our our discussion with our friend Kyle Starks about the interesting Google terms, uh, Japanese nipples might bring you some interesting results if you were to search that i love them uh, but i saw
0: I, them in a, on a split bill in 98 it was great
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh great show the pit was nasty uh but i did do some research into this and found out what was actually being referenced here uh so hold on i just want to make sure i have the term right this is new to me uh he was not looking at the nipples he was actually looking at the the wrap that the um oh and i forget the character was wearing right below his nipples that he like adjust to the nipple level this uh this wrap is called a surashi and was something that's traditional japanese wear below a kimono i uh, would be worn uh, primarily by samurai like below their kimono as protection Uh might also be worn by women as a chest wrap um but it's something i guess that is used frequently in anime now where that's kind of a, a symbol of toughness for like particular japanese toughness that uh, I guess in anime now you'll see some characters that'll wear these kind of like kimono-ish tops that'll be open where they have their chest like hanging out there with their big pecs but then you'll also see kind of below that this like wrap around their abdomen and that's what that garment is so it's still something culturally today that would be very recognizable um but right to us I had been unaware of it and I if you look at some I don't know. Like I'm not a huge anime uh watcher. I do appreciate it. Um but it was something I looked up and I'm like, "Oh yeah, you do see this and things." So kind of interesting. And I got that that's what he saw.
3: Uh. I I think it would have been uh better if, you know, that the shot, you know, the reaction shot where you you the reveal of of what you're talking about, Mike. It, it's the zoom in. That's what makes you start <laughs> thinking nipple. Like if it was just a static shot without the zoom, then but it was just that zoom in right right tight on the nipples where uh, I I was thinking that too I was like I need more information on this so right like maybe that.
1: he needed to they needed to zoom in but then like lowered a little bit so it's more Something centered
3: correct because it was <laughs> it was a, it was a bull'seye to the nipples that zoom in.
2: <laughs> I actually it reminded me of I don't know if you guys have ever watched the show Rick and Morty yes. there's an episode right. where I have there's an episode where there are these, there's a planet that's taken over by a hive mind and it's perfectly peaceful. And what happens is the hive mind starts to lose control. And then all of a sudden people start killing each other people that look exactly the same, but they start killing each other. And the reason they kill each other is because their nipples are different shapes. (laughs) (laughs) The one race has a nipple shape like this. The other race is a nipple shape like that. Aside from that, they're exactly the same. And Summer is there and she's like, what are you doing? Can't you see you're exactly the same? And Morty goes, Summer, first race war I see.
1: (laughs) That's all I can think of. And I'm like... Is is this something? <laughs> is this <laughs> maybe this? maybe they were inspired by this movie and they took that same I, I, understanding I mean, that it was Japanese nipples. That I, it out, so because I'm like that, that's
2: something. the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But uh, clearly we're all, we've all we all we,
1: <laughs> we all maybe. thought what we wanted to think. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we need to reach out to our friend Kyle and see if he can do some digging for us in the Rick and Morty annals and tell us it was that the inspiration
2: i think we need to reach out to a therapist to be perfectly
1: <laughs> <laughs> well you know that's another thing that's another thing um but reaching out to other stars um i it i would be remiss if we didn't call out this movie featured uh an important cameo uh, that has a connection with enter the dragon 2 this movie also featured early stunt work by jackie chan Mm-hmm. And you could actually see him in this movie like he was one of the guys in school fighting uh the first time the Japanese school dojo comes over and attack like actually physically fights the Jingwu school he's one of the guys in the yard fighting there also Corey Yuen is in there too so when we talked about um it, drunken master it, that whole jackie chan's background with the uh the hong kong or the what was it, the peking opera academy that school that he was with the seven little fortunes that like yes. all the stunt fighters apparently in this movie were from that school and that troop so this is before jackie chan had kind of gone on his own and he had a, a fairly legendary piece of stunt work in this movie so he's also the stunt the stunt double for suzuki who at the end when Bruce hits him and he takes this giant like flying leap out of the building, that was Jackie Chan that did that. And apparently like it impressed Bruce so much that that got, you know, Bruce's attention was like, Hey, I want to work with this guy now. So like him being will. And I think in his, if I remember right, in his autobiography, he talked about like, no one else wanted to do that because it was like this really long distance or something. And like, He basically just got yanked by a wire and had to do this like huge flying leap and he was willing to do it. And that got his attention. So that crazy scene, that was Jackie
3: Chan. Yeah. How odd I am, Mike. I I read that too. And I, I literally because I, I love Jackie Chan so much, but I, I got choked up by reading that because he Jackie was like this was sort of his sort of, um, you know, like graduation almost in terms of stunt work. Like he got, like you said, yanked on that chain and it is an epic pull like it's in oh, slow yeah. motion. It looks amazing. So he hits the ground and, you know, I guess like people were kind of <laughs> taken aback of how insane it was on the set and Bruce comes up to him and, you know, basically like you know, gives him the handshake and he's sort of in the club now and he's like that night I drank for free and I was just like that's when I sort of got missed you know, I'm like yeah. oh my god this is like Jackie's graduation I got to see it you know and not even as an actor yet just a stunt worker behind the right, scenes right. so it, it's it was really moving. Like I just love that story so much. Right. And it's interesting,
1: especially in this movie, because him and Bruce share that connection with Lowe that you know Low way in this movie and did the big boss before that gave Bruce his start but Bruce Uh, You know, there's a lot of stories of friction between them. Apparently at one point, like supposedly Bruce got so frustrated with low way and low way, like not listening to his direction or his input on martial arts that like Bruce was going to kick his ass and he had to like hide behind his wife. Or so there's stories there. But then uh, because of the connection after Bruce uh, low way, tried jumpstarting Jackie Chan's career and kind of did before uh, like, Drunken Master that we talked about before, um, and Jay, you might remember the movies. Um, but I know he did a couple with Jackie Chan, but they were in that kind of Bruce exploitation range where it was, all right. Well, Bruce is dead. Now we're going to use Jackie and make him new Bruce Lee. And Jackie Chan, from what I remember, also kind of got frustrated with Lo Wei because he was like, "Well, I'm not Bruce Lee. I don't want to do Bruce Lee movies." But Lo Wei yeah, was he trying wanted him to make a yeah
3: sorry Mike I was just saying he wanted to be a Bruce Lee clone and Jackie's like this is sort of not my my niche here like I'm the anti-Bruce so yeah he, he that that kind of combination didn't didn't work i think they did a couple movies together i think one right. of them is literally like fist of fury 2 i don't know that yes. for sure yep, yep. yeah like right. literally the sequel or new and, fist of fury or that's something what it like is that. thank you yeah exactly the next installment where jackie's in the bruce role um which i think is interesting and I, mike I, i'd almost like you to talk about this is as i'm sure you know um like historically, this this story has historical basis. I I think Bruce's character is is fictional, but right. But like you were saying, like this was an actual like um kung fu master, and I guess like people would. There's like a Russian wrestler who slandered. That's where the the sick men of Asia came from, right? Right. Yeah.
1: Tell yeah. So the, like, right. Like. So that that was a thing that was said in like and uh, and we can like share stuff about or on the side, but right. So there was this thing that was used kind of to slander China during this uh, like imperial post-imperial time, uh, this whole sick man of Asia. But at times it's been used in other contexts, like towards Russia as like sick man of Europe. Um, You know, it's kind of, this is apparently like a a very well-known political diss at the time. Um, Mm. But, oh, and because you bring up that Russian guy, interesting just talking about, I don't know if I'd call it cameos. Or something but the actor that played that is it it's not bob barker is it robert baker bob yeah obviously not bob barker but robert <laughs> baker was well,
2: okay bob barker can fight if you've ever seen can, happy oh, that's gilmore true. that's true yes
1: like he can handle he beats himself. the crap out of Sandler. <laughs> right Sanders, right so like, let's, uh, let's call that out right now but this guy robert baker actually was like bruce's number one student in america who he brought over and i think uh one of you mentioned before that this was like one of the first times that you saw a westerner come into, you know, a white guy, even though he's portrayed as Russian in here, a white guy brought in to like play a villain role. That right. it, Bruce would go back to this well in his next movie, Way of the Dragon, with Chuck Norris. Um, but he was uh, that Robert Baker was one of Bruce's uh, like top students, so he hand picked him to come in here and you know show off his skills. And you know we talked about earlier that most of the fights in this movie no one even comes close to laying a hand on bruce but right petrov the russian does like he lands some pretty heavy shots and has that arm bar and all that in it like he he's the only one that does some damage on bruce yeah
3: um that's
2: well if you want to talk about petrov he is the subject of my science segment so oh if you want to do that we can Let's do that, do that. Now. i'm excited OK, so um, this science segment, once I realized that nipples weren't the subject of the discrimination, because um, I was actually going to do my science segment on nipples and why men have nipples, because I've been asked that question a gazillion times. And I actually know the answer it, off the top of my head. I wouldn't have had to do any research. But screw y'all. I'm not doing that. So you you can still oh. wonder. You can still wonder. All right. Anyway, <laughs> no. Um. So anyway, if you recall, there's that scene in the movie where Bruce goes in uh, dressed up as a a uh, telephone repairman. He's wearing like Coke bottle glasses, and he's acting all he's overacting like a doofus, you guys. And he, and I like how he goes under the phone and he like screwdrivers the bottom of the phone and stuff. Um. But there's the part where he watches Petrov who is doing um, a demonstration to show off to the Japanese students Um, and he does some crazy things okay things that like I've never seen a human do um, which clearly are special effects but let's talk about them so there's a couple things that he does. The first thing that he does. So one of the things that he does is he bends steel bars. There's one where he takes a smaller, like rebar sized steel bar, and he kind of wraps it around his wrist. Uh, the physics are too hard for me to figure out how to do that. <laughs> but there's another one where he takes a, like a, just a, a steel bar and he just bends it. You know, like straight up goes and bends it Superman style. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking to myself, how many, you know, how much force is required? By a human being to do that. Okay, so um, what I did is I basically looked up the the formula for um, the stress on uh, for calculating stress on bending a steel bar. So I looked, and it's um, it, it's it's not super complicated, but it, it wasn't too hard. So we needed to say so what you need to do is you need to figure out stress. Stress is the force times the distance times one-half the bar thickness divided by the moment of inertia. And the moment of inertia, you may or may not know, it has to do with the shape of the bar. If it was square, if it was a triangle, if it's round, cross-section-wise. So I had to Google what that was. So basically, the moment of inertia is pi times the diameter uh, to the fourth power divided by 64. Okay? So I figured the bar is probably like, I think it was kind of like, two inches, right? Or or like four centimeters. I probably threw in four centimeters. Um, I also looked at the length of the bar. And so I'm going to assume that the bar was um, was basically uh, one meter long, right? So if you cut that in half, that's 500 millimeters. So the distance would be the distance from the end of the bar to midway through the bar, which is 500 millimeters, right? Um OK, so we got a bar that's about four centimeters thick um, and about a meter long. And how much force did it take for him to bend that? Well, you do all the math and you put it all together and it would take 3,000 Newtons, right? 3,000 Newtons is 660 pounds of force. That is an immense amount of force to produce with just your lats. because keep in mind, it's not him, you know, he's not like, you know, leg pressing this. It's just two. he's holding this in the air and bringing his elbows down to his body or adducting ab- his elbows. That is an immense amount of force. It's, it probably couldn't be done by a human. So it's an impressive feat and it probably couldn't happen. Right. What is even more impressive, though, is the one that he does with his uh, with the nails. So if you don't oh, recall, yes. what he does is he takes nails, right, like just mm-hmm. decent sized, yeah, and he just kind of pushes them into wood, like just goes <laughs> and put, like, I, I had to watch the scene a couple times, because the way I recall it is he held them in his hand and he went, whack, whack, whack. No, he doesn't whack them into the wood. Yeah. He holds them and he, like, presses them into the wood
1: yeah which right. is
2: nuts okay <laughs> now this <laughs> the physics on this is interesting because how do you typically get a nail into wood use a nail gun or a hammer so let's think about it force. so when you hammer a nail the force you apply to the head of the hammer uh needs to overcome friction so what happens is you have a nail it's in wood and friction is the thing that's stopping the nail from being driven in and wood is pretty dense, so it's a lot of friction. So the force of the head of the hammer on the nail needs to needs to be higher than the frictional force of the wood on the nail. Right? Mm-hmm. Now nails are nails are smart, it's smart. Nails are built in a smart way. If you want something to go to pierce, there's a reason why pointy things pierce. It's because the force that you apply to the pointy thing is focused on a very small surface. That's why it penetrates. That's why animals with sharp teeth are sharp. That's why sharp things puncture because the force is focused on a very small part and it it and whatever it's penetrating will give. Okay. So um, if you take a hammer, it's heavy and you swing it at a speed. And that's a pretty simple thing. Ma- force equals mass times acceleration. Okay. So if I were to hammer in a nail, of a similar, of a similar, you know, dimensions to the one that the man just pushes in, how much force would it require? Okay, so let's think about it. I take a, a hammer. A hammer is about what? A pound. So let's say a pound hammer. So that's 0.4 kilograms. And let's say you swing it at 10 meters per second, which is pretty reasonable. And the amount of time it would take is probably like um, 10 milliseconds. It's this reasonable. So really, all you really need to do is just set up the equation. So it's four kilograms, which is a pound, um, times ten meters per uh, times ten meters per second divided by the time, which is ten milliseconds, and it equals four thousand newtons. Four thousand newtons is eight hundred and eighty pounds. So that <laughs> means that the man was able to push down on that nail with 880 pounds. Now, (laughs) let me ask you guys, if you apply force to something that is heavier than you, what do you think is going to happen? Is it going to go down? Yeah, No, yeah, you're going to get lifted up. So even if somehow magically he could generate this much force, his body would just get lifted off the ground. (laughs) So it wouldn't work. But more realistically, what would happen is the nail would be driven through his hand as opposed to (laughs) through the wood. So that is impossible for you to do because you'd lift your body off the ground or you'd drive the nail through your hand. So these were literally super heroic feats that this man did. And I don't appreciate you guys making me do math. So screw (laughs) (laughs) y'all.
1: That is Dom's science and mathematics segment. Well, we appreciate (laughs) the sacrifices you make for us, Dr. Damore. Thank you. Yes. Nipples another time. (laughs) We'll save that for somebody find and let us know what is the most nipple oriented martial arts movie. We'll make sure we get that in for Dr. Dom. There's got to be like a nipples of death movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's (laughs) got to
3: be a Stagall movie. I bet. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, oh, I know. I know. Oh,
3: those dude, are some nips dude, I do want to see. Random
2: side note, random side note. Um remember in Living Color? You know oh, the show Living Color? Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey does a sketch called I think Breasts of Fury, where he plays really? a woman. He, clearly it's Jim Carrey. And he's yeah. got like shine he's got like throwing stars over his nipples and like <laughs> really? Are you yeah. making this up? No, I'm not. I'm We not. gotta
1: see if this is on YouTube. We will. We'll definitely share this through our. We're social gonna social have so to. Yeah, people can enjoy this. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Right, another, <laughs> another wonderful science segment, Dr. Dom, uh, and another fun jump through the legendary Bruce Lee. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's close this out. Just want some final thoughts from you guys about this movie, Bruce, or uh, wherever you want to go with this. Ringing in 2023. Any of that goose good stuff. So, I'm going to start by putting our Magic Man on the mic and on the spot. Final thoughts.
0: I think this is a great place to start for the year. Um it is absolutely a stone cold classic as much crap as I gave it earlier. Um it there are so many kind of foundational things in this movie that you see either developed a, upon, refined or really it gives us I mean what what we know as Bruce Lee, also the archetype of every other uh, martial arts movie to come after that so i i think as much as i may not have personally enjoyed it and i think that's my own personal problem uh <laughs> it is absolutely one of the the building blocks of, of martial arts films so what an, what an auspicious start for for year two to to go with uh with this foundational classic
1: love it love it thank you uh Genius.
3: How about you? Final thoughts on Fists of Fury. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention um, is just the aesthetic of the film. Like, if you think about the the Shaw Brothers films, you know they have access to you know a giant studio and sets and everything like that, and obviously probably bigger budgets. Where this is uh, a deal Bruce made with Golden Harvest, which was sort of like a, an offshoot uh, with Raymond Chow um, of of the Shaw brothers studios. And it it is like a kind of, you know, it came out in the seventies, but it feels like a gritty seventies movie. They, I guess they had two sets they made, um, which is, you know, primarily what you see like that, that backyard where they keep having cool action. scenes towards the back half of the movie. Whereas, you know, Shaw brothers, they, they had like, you know, more elaborate sets and they probably had absolute like complete city or street scenes where you could tell, like, um, when Bruce hits the street there to, to do his, you know, infamous, uh, kick of that sign um you know they're, they're just out on the streets and it really is a contrast to sort of like the the historical epics like you're like is this is this modern day like it just feels you know right. off-putting in terms of what else is happening in the movie in the setting and the other set so but i i kind of appreciate it it's like he's like kicking and 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 dragging the you know hong kong cinema in into the the next phase so um for that alone i i I really appreciate it and and mike as you mentioned this is just kind of quick asides i you said this earlier it's like the only time bruce had a romantic um he didn't necessarily do a ton of films uh he only did a handful um but it's the only time he ever had a romantic interest that that's kind of fascinating um and then just my final thing is um when i saw him doing disguises i quickly uh thought of like (laughs) eddie murphy and nutty professor like that's or even even like coming to america like i was like uh, but but bruce was a fan of of jerry lewis who who kind of originated yes. this like different suits and like i'm gonna be this guy an old man in this scene hiding in the background i'm gonna you know, be a goofy guy with coke bottle glasses in the next scene so this is sort of bruce bruce's homage to again him pulling in different influences from all around the world you know american comedies from the 50s like it's just it's just this weird hodgepodge and i i just i just found it fascinating
1: agreed agreed oh and I question I wanted to ask quick, a little bonus science segment here, because you brought it up. Uh Bruce's romantic scene that occurs at that previously mentioned graveyard barbecue. And uh, Dr. Oh, wow. Dom, I have to know, what is he eating? Uh, in there? He's know? got something. It looks tasty, it but looks it also domestic, might be gross. Though. I don't know. What, what does he have on that spit? I'm it's learned. a rabbit. It's a rabbit. Rab- rab- okay. Trust sure. okay.
2: yeah, I me, mean, I'm, I'm positive.
1: I'm okay, positive guys. it's Thank a you. rabbit.
2: I can tell by okay. two ways. Number yes. one, Uh, It still had little rabbit's feet at the end, like so you could tell. You could still little rabbit's feet. Seriously, look it up. Uh, And the second thing is, um, rabbits have a a very interesting kind of face. They're not rodents, even though a lot of people think they're rodents. They're part of a group that's very similar to rodents, but not rodents, called lagomorphs, right? And lagomorphs have a very distinct, like, kind of long snout with teeth coming down and meeting at the middle and a kind of a space in the middle which we call a diastem. um and i could i've seen a fair amount of rabbit skulls and i i know what they look like so i was like oh, that's, a, that's a rabbit because at first i was Absolutely. like what the heck is he eating i was like that's, <laughs> that's what happened. i was like because i was thinking i'm like okay it's too big to be a squirrel mm-hmm. or a rat so i'm like what could it be and i'm like it could be some like domesticated animal or it's a rabbit, about. and I'm like, oh, look at this guy—it's a rabbit. Yeah. So, oh, okay,
3: so, good. Sorry. Right.
2: Right. I feel rabbit is delicious. Think. I don't know how often you guys have eaten rabbit. <laughs> I had it. I remember I went overseas and I had it, and I was like, oh, it's good.
1: I can see my I have had rarebit, which I think is just gravy on bread. That's just but cheese I... on
2: toast, my friend. <laughs> uh,
0: right,
1: right. I've had that. That's tasty. Uh, excellent. Mystery solved. Well, I guess I need to catch myself a rabbit. Good thing there's like a hundred of them. So, so do you want me to like say Honestly. my
2: opinion on the movie too? Or you're just gonna ask yeah, me. Oh
1: so, yeah, Why well, I was gonna ask
0: that too. <laughs> the rabbit thing's yeah, plenty dumb. Yeah. The rabbit We're thing's been there. Final <laughs> <All> thoughts.
2: <there>. Well, he seasoned it with a little uh, pepper and salt. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I I think this movie without Bruce is nothing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's a classic is because of Bruce. So you guys oh, have already yeah. kind of touched upon that. The fight scenes are mm-hmm. sick, but also like this is Bruce Lee imposing his style and his philosophy and also his his method of acting. Cuz he's mm-hmm. super intense. Mm-hmm. He's super engrossed. He has no problem with these dramatic facial expressions that are just as cutting as his punches and kicks and chucks and all that stuff. Like this movie is built around him and he's very personable. He's very interesting. Like I like watching him. He was really a star, a star that was cut down too soon. I mean, how many people make five movies die and are still talked about 50 years later. There's a reason for it in this movie, which I agree with Matt, not the greatest movie in the world is a classic because of bruce you know all of that you know he makes he takes the over the top and arguably ethnocentric qualities of the movie and still makes it um fun to watch and you know kind of i don't want to say grounds it but doesn't make it seem distance from the audience. Like, like he's engrossing. Everything he does is engrossing. Everything he does is engaging. Every time he's on the screen, I'm like, Oh, what's he going to do now? Oh, is that him? Oh, he's doing this. Oh, wow. What's yeah. Uh, that. And the fact that the scenes without him kind of fall flat is, is exemplary of this. So um, mm-hmm. I think I, cause like you said, enter the dragon ensemble cast lots of great set pieces lots of cool stuff it could have been another martial artist and it might not be the classic but still enter the dragon would have been a sick movie this movie bruce is the linchpin that holds it together and i think that's and i and i'm glad we started with it
1: absolutely absolutely well i agree with all you guys i just two things one random side fact that i hinted at earlier i want to make sure that i Brought up because this was always something that confused me. So if you're familiar, again, we mentioned Bruce's first film with Golden Harvest and Lo Wei was The Big Boss, and this is his follow up, Fist of Fury. Um, however, I knew at one time I would often get them confused because so I mentioned that Fist of Fury was released in America as The Chinese Connection, and Big Boss that came out the year before this was released in America as. Fists of Fury. So for the longest time, I'd get confused when I would see Fist of Fury, what movie they're talking about. And the reason for this was, I guess both of those basically came over to America around the same time. And this is right before The French Connection came out, or right after The French Connection came out. So, you know, the great after. Gene Hackman movie, who I didn't realize is 93 now. I That's a whole, I my mind is still trying to grapple with that fact. But anyways, the great French Connection so they were trying to ride on the coattails of that however it's the movie The Big Boss that has a plot line with a drug dealer that was uh, apparently that was supposed to be called The Chinese Connection because Mm -hmm. they wanted people to see like oh this is the Chinese version of of French Connection but when it came over uh, whoever retitles things in America flipped the movies around and Gave Fist of Fury's name to Big Boss and gave what was supposed to be Big Boss's name Chinese connection to Fist of Fury. So all sorts of madness. Uh, that's why they are what they are. But that aside, me
2: cross eyed like I was like,
1: it did. I liked it. But that aside, we trashed Lo-Way a little bit. Lo-Way gets a lot of crap because uh, you know we really pissed Bruce off and pissed off Jackie Chan and. Those aren't really two people that you want to look at as, like, disparaging you. Um, but I think that there's a lot that Low Wave did really well. And I love some of the camera work in this movie. There's, uh, you know, a couple shots, like, in that first dojo fight. There's, like, that overhead shot where when the, like, circle of fighters is surrounding Bruce and the camera's kind of turning, you know, anti the direction they are. So it's like this really, like, cool spinning shot or when... Bruce goes back to the dojo at the end. There's some really cool shots from behind the, like, I don't know if they were like kendo fighters or something, where they're kind of like they form this wall and you kind of look through the shadow at Bruce standing in the doorway. There's some really cool, like, Bruce and Petrov. They have, like, their kind of face-to-face eyeball showdown. Like, there's a lot of really cool camera work that I think makes this movie, aside from all the incredible, uh, everything that you had just said, you know, Bruce making it what he is. No one else, if the fights aren't as great because Bruce isn't great, the movie isn't as strong. But there's some really good camera work that I think it just visually draws you in and really takes advantage of how Bruce does what he does. So I'm going to give a little credit to Way that even though uh, you know he gets knocked a bit, I, I think his eye brought something to this movie too. So uh, again, it's one I really enjoy. I love it. And I think this is a great place for us to start. I'm excited for... Uh, even more fun into the future so um, but I think that's good for us for tonight. um can I close Matt with what do we thing? else? Yeah, please do. Um,
0: uh, fun fact that I feel like I should mention at the end for 12 people. uh there was a hardcore band out of Buffalo that named themselves after this movie. Oh really called mm. Fists of Fury. Um, the bass player is now the current singer for the band First Blood Real into movies, that dude. Um, So, if you want, as we go out, I can play a song from 1998's demo from Fists of Fury.
1: That sounds good. Let's, Let's end it there. Awesome.
0: All right. Here we go. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.
1: See you next time.